Well, hello, friends. My name is Blake Holmes, and welcome to Watermark's Good Friday service. And obviously, uh, this is very different than what we've done in years past because of the coronavirus. But I am excited about what we have planned for today, a time just to reflect on the significance of Good Friday. And to do that, I've invited my good friend, David Leventhal, to come join me. Hey, hey. And uh, David, thank you for taking the time out to do this. Yeah. Looking forward to our time together. Absolutely. And I'm going to start, David, just by asking you the question that my kids always asked me growing up. They'd say, hey, Dad, Dad, why is Good Friday called Good Friday? Why do we call it good? Yeah. yeah it did seem like an odd, an odd way to address the, uh, the day that our Savior was crucified. But like a lot of things in Scripture, we call Friday where... Uh, God became man and hung on a cross and bled and was tortured and died. We call that Good Friday because of what it produces. Hmm. We call it Good Friday as we look back. Uh, they didn't call it Good Friday when it happened, I assure you that. Yeah. But we can call it Good Friday as we look back because we know that Friday comes before Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we have the benefit of knowing the story. And we know that um, Friday led to Sunday, which was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we can look back in hindsight and say, as awful as Friday was, and it was awful, mm-hmm. um, it led to something unspeakably good, mm-hmm. which is why it's Good Friday. Yeah. Which, um, if you're anything like me, you're in a season like this, yeah. I'm tempted often to look past Good Friday a lot of ways because yeah. you and I know how this movie ends, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? Yeah. Um, I, I want to rush to Sunday. I want to rush to the resurrection. Yeah. And that's why I think it's important that we're doing what we're doing today is just to stop and to prepare our hearts um, for what happened today so that we can appreciate um, the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can't appreciate Sunday until we stop and reflect on today and what happened on on Friday. And so, um, David, take, if you don't mind, man, just take a few minutes and to share with everyone, um, when did you first come to the realization that a Friday is and Sunday, what we're celebrating this week, um, has tremendous significance? Yeah. So, for, you know, for me, just a quick background, I was raised um, in a home where the gospel was taught regularly, not a perfect home because there are no there's such a thing as a perfect home. Mm-hmm. So we had our issues and our problems, but my mom and dad consistently, regularly shared the gospel with us that, that, um, that we were uh, broken, mm-hmm. that we were sinners in need of a savior, and that Jesus Christ uh, was the mechanism by which God create, could create reconciliation. And so I was raised with that information in my brain, really from the time that I could, my earliest memories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I largely was riding the coattails of my parents' faith through junior high, through high school. And it wasn't until I got into college, uh, halfway through my freshman year, when some guys began to invest in me, some guys that were involved in a parachurch ministry on on campus, um, guys that I had known from my high school that had come to know the Lord since they graduated from high school, began to really invest in me and began to uh, remind me of these things that my parents had taught me over a a period of a couple of months. And I remember one day uh, walking into the student union on the campus, and as I was walking up the stairs, just being um, overwhelmed a little bit, almost like the light bulb came on, and all of a sudden, all these pieces that I had heard um, kind of came together. And I think perhaps for the first time, I really 
uh, got a hold of the truth that I was uh, in in deep trouble mm-hmm. um, based on what I now was becoming convinced was true, which was that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from some sort of a reconciliation method, I was never going to be in a good spot either on this earth or more importantly for eternity to come. And so it was at that, that season of my life when the gospel became real, that I was broken, um, that I could not fix my brokenness with athletic achievement, with popularity, with good works, which I really wasn't doing good works at that time. But even if I had been, that wouldn't have been something that would have uh, crossed the great divide. Um, I couldn't good outweigh the bad. None of that was going to be appropriate for me. It was going to get me uh, peace with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only and only through um, uh, faith, as Paul says, you know, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, and it's not as a result of works so no one can boast. And, and it, that truth began to really sink in. And it, it uh, in a very short amount of time, really began to radically alter the way that I viewed everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a game changer, right? Yeah. yeah. Changed everything about my everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of us in Dallas, perhaps, who have grown up going to church, and we almost become inoculated yeah. to the truth. We hear a lot of the stories, and as you said, mm-hmm. it's like a, a bunch of fragmented fragmented pieces to the puzzle and then at some point um, you know you were a little older I was in elementary school and it just clicked all those pieces that I'd heard growing up the the various stories I I began to see the picture there's a God in heaven who loved me Mm -hmm. and he desired to have a relationship with me but because of my sin all the things I'd done that is contrary to the will of God yeah um I've been separated from him. But Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And that changed my everything too. So listen, what I thought we might do today, um, there's, when you look at that Friday in which Christ died, mm-hmm. when you look at the passages of scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you just take a look at the words of what did Jesus say when he was on the cross? Mm-hmm. I remember him um, saying, it is finished. I thirst. Yeah. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Into, my, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And, and that's Luke. right. Yeah. yeah. But there's, there's one line that you and I have been talking about a lot this week. Yeah. Where he asks the why question. Mm-hmm. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so what I want to do and, um, is take a look at this passage mm-hmm. and just better um, understand the significance of this. Yeah. So, but before we jump into it, why don't you set up the context yeah. for us of what we're looking at. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46 is where he asked that question. Yeah, so I think it's, to your point, it's, it's going to be helpful for us, I think, to, to marinate in this hardness. We, we, we all want to get to Sunday. Right. But there's benefit you know, for those of us that are familiar with the story, there's benefit to sitting in the darkness of Good Friday. And so, yeah, we're in you know, Matthew 27. Jesus is on the cross. He's been on the cross since about nine in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, the passage kind of we have talked about, it kicks in in the sixth hour, which is about noon. And from noon until uh, about 3 p.m., the ninth hour, it says that there was darkness over the land. And if you know your Bible and Matthew's audience written to Jews, they certainly knew their Bible. They knew that... Um, 
that darkness was not a good sign. And it, it harkens back even to the, the exodus and the plagues on the Egyptians when, when the ninth plague was darkness over all the land with the exception of, of the, the Jews. And that darkness preceded in, in exodus something horrible. It preceded the 10th curse, which was the death of the firstborn son of the Egyptians in, in the Passover meal. And so uh, we are in a season, uh, we are in a period when Jesus is on the cross. Darkness has covered the land from about noon to about 3 p.m., and he cries out um, in the midst of this darkness, you know, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's where we are. Um, and he's going to shortly, he's going to give up his life in, in short order here. But right now, as you mentioned, we're going to sit in the uncomfortableness, mm -hmm. in the hardness, in the darkness of Jesus's cry from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's the time of the Passover here. Yeah. It's the time of the Passover yeah. here. Um, well, you and I had talked about looking at this from several different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Let's start first with the perspective of the son. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he's asking the why question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But, it, but we know from scripture, it's not like Jesus is confused. It's, it's not like he doesn't understand. Several times in scripture, he talked about his hour that was to come. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just think about in the book of Matthew itself, um, three different times he predicts, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to the cross. Um, if you look at specifically chapter 16, verse 21, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Yeah. And so again, he repeats that again in um, Matthew 20, 18 and 19, and then Matthew 20, verse 28. So it doesn't seem like he's confused. Mm -hmm. So what is this cry? What's, the, what's behind the why? Yeah, so let's acknowledge first that this was a very real, when Jesus is crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not saying, God, it feels like you have forsaken me. This was the father mm -hmm. forsaking the son. And mm -hmm. he's crying on that because for the first time uh, in all of eternity, father, son, and spirit, there is a sense, there is a, a, a sense and a realism which the father turned his back on the son. There is um, one of the key components of the cross is what the Bible calls propitiation. It's this big word, which simply means that the wrath of God had to be satisfied. Isaiah talks about this in 53, Isaiah 53, 6. He, uh, Isaiah writes that all of us like sheep have gone astray. And this passage is specifically talking about the Messiah that would come. Mm -hmm. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And so God, the father, um, his hatred of sin, mm -hmm. and I don't think that's the wrong word. I think that's the perfect word. Mm -hmm. God hates sin and sin always leads to death. Mm -hmm. And in God's love, he was going to reconcile that, but he did that through the death of his firstborn son. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that um, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God uh, in him. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3 tells us, because uh, it's written that cursed is everyone who hangs mm -hmm. on a tree, which is Going back to Deuteronomy, that's a quote from Deuteronomy. And so Jesus is asking that question because he is in a very literal, real sense being forsaken by the Father as the Father cannot look on sin. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, I, I love what he wrote about this. He said that never did God so manifest his hatred of sin as in the death 
and sufferings of his only begotten son. Hereby he showed himself unappeasable to sin and that it was impossible for him to be at peace with it. God and sin cannot coexist. And so if Jesus is gonna become the ransom by which many might be saved, he is gonna take on the full run of sin and there is a turning of the back of the father mm. on the son. And Jesus experienced in a way that was, um, that I have to believe was gr infinitely greater than the physical suffering he experienced, which was, which is unimaginable, honestly, mm -hmm. was the spiritual separation from the father and from the spirit. So that's why Jesus is crying out, why have you forsaken me? Because he is for the first time experiencing um, what it's like to not have the father's favor torn towards him. It's a cry of anguish. Yeah. He experiences yeah. the wrath of God mm -hmm. as he pays our penalty for even the son of man to not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a yeah. ransom. And it's not like Jesus has forgotten, I mean, because he cries out, my God, my God. So he's not abandoned his relationship to God. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a different prayer, though, because in the Gospel of Matthew, we see, I don't know, five or six times previous to this, whenever Jesus prays, mm -hmm. he prays Father. He prays to the Father, the relationship of Father to a Son, Abba, Father. That's the prayer, the, the model throughout Matthew. And in this one instance, in this one instance, mm. It's not father. It's my God, my God. So he's acknowledging the relationship is still, that he still acknowledges the father, that, mm -hmm. that God exists, but it's a different relationship. And thank the Lord we have in Luke, you know, because you could be left to hung on this, this relationship with the father is broken in a sense. Mm -hmm. And we see in Luke, you know, he, Jesus ends his time on the cross. He gives up his life and he says, father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And mm -hmm. so he, he recaptures that as he, as he gives up his life at the end. That's good. You and I were talking about what one commentator said. I'll just read this. Looking at this particular passage, he says, the cry has a ruthless authenticity, which provides the assurance that the price of sin mm -hmm. has been paid in full. Yet Jesus did not die renouncing God, to your point. Yeah. Even in the inferno of his abandonment, he did not surrender his faith in God, but expressed his anguished prayer yeah. in a cry of affirmation, my God, yeah. my God. Yeah. That's strong. Yeah. <laughs> so that's strong. Okay, so we looked at it from the perspective of the son. And this is a perspective, as you and I have talked, that I don't think that, perhaps many of us have stopped to think about, but the perspective of the Father and the Spirit at this time. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it is almost, you know, you know now we're, we're wading out into waters um, that get deep pretty quick, mm -hmm. which is what is it like for the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit to have coexisted for all eternity? Mm -hmm. And, and there's, a, there's a point in time when, when the Son enters into human history in the form of a baby, the invisible God, puts on flesh, lives on earth, and then 33-ish years into his life, he goes to the cross. And for the first time ever, and we, we think in terms of days, months, and years, and that's not even an appropriate way to think about it because the Father, Son, and the Spirit are outside of time. Right. So they're not on a stopwatch. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time in eternity past, and it would be the last time, the only time, there is a, um, a disruption of this fellowship. And um, and it's, it's hard to even put into words what that would have been like for the Father and for the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And as we've talked about previously, what was it like for the Son mm -hmm. to experience that? It's, um, it's, and, and to think about why that occurred, right? To invite us into that. Yes. Place. I mean, Jesus is giving yeah. us a chance when we place our faith 
in him, yeah. what he's done, to invite us into that fellowship, to be a part of the family yeah. of God. Yeah, the, the, the only time that the fellowship of the Trinity was broken was done so that man created in the image of God, where that image has been defaced significantly since Genesis 3, could be brought back into fellowship. It is, I mean, you could, you could swim in those waters for a long time, just mm-hmm. meditating on the truth and the, uh, and the significance and implications of, of how much does God love broken, fallen humans, mm-hmm. if that's the length with which he's willing to go. Okay, so let me, let me see if I can summarize a little bit what we've said up to this point for everybody. And this is what I want you to hear, for those of you who are listening at home. There's a God in heaven who loves you. Mm-hmm. And um, we are um, separated from him because of our sin. And all of us have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. We, we all are now experiencing physical death, but also spiritual death. Mm-hmm. We're living in a world which God did not intend for us to live. Um, but we chose to rebel against him. But God has been on a rescue mission, if you will, um, since long before Jesus was even walking the earth, which we're going to get to here in a little bit. We're going to talk more about. But What's significant here, what we see on the cross, as David said well, is that Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, paid the penalty for our sin to bridge the gap between a perfect, righteous, holy God and a sinful people. And as the God-man, fully God so as to be without sin, and fully man so as to serve as our substitute, he bridged that gap to offer us an invitation of forgiveness and to extend his grace. And so, David, let's, let's just pick up um, with, we, we were talking about uh, the perspective of Christ, the perspective of the Father and the Spirit. Um, I remember one, one man said this, as we read this passage, our focus is always on Jesus and what he is experiencing, but do we ever stop and think what the Father and the Spirit were experiencing on the other side of the separation. Mm-hmm. How terrible for them to be forced to forsake one with whom they had enjoyed perfect fellowship and harmony since eternity past. How horrible to see this perfect one they love completely taste and endure the bitterness of sin and judgment. It must have been just as horrible for them as it was for Jesus, if not worse. Yeah. So let's go to the third perspective of those um, who heard him on that day. Yeah. Um, you, everybody's listening. They don't get the full significance yeah. of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, just unpack that. Yeah, so you've got a, a variety of folks at the foot of the cross that day. You've got guys that are being crucified with Jesus. You've got soldiers. You've got uh, women and, and men who love Jesus who are watching their suffering. And, you know, Jesus has this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the response to some was, hey, he's calling to Elijah. And because, you know, it could have been that they, you know, as, as I mentioned, it's Jesus said it, in, not in English, obviously, but Eloi, Eloi, which sounds a lot like Elias, which is how you say Elijah. And so they could have misheard him. Okay. And they could have thought, hey, maybe he's crying to Elijah because there was this belief that Elijah would precede the coming of the Lord, that he would offer aid to those that are suffering. Um, and so there, there could have been a, a misheard, there could have been misunderstanding of who this guy is that's on the cross. He's not even the savior. He's crying, he's crying for help because he is lost and adrift at sea and is, is grasping for someone to come help him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we see that, that as he dies and as the 
earth physically vomits at his death, so to speak, and the temple is torn from top to bottom, um, that there is this response from the soldier, this Surely this man was the son of God. I mean, there's a lot of different responses going on at the foot of the cross. And people just, are mocking him at yeah, the same people time. People are mocking him, yeah. I mean, you know, hey, this guy uh, healed others. Yeah, why can't he heal himself? Why can't he heal himself? Yeah. And, and so there was a lot of confusion. That's why we started. Hey, Good Friday wasn't Good Friday on Friday when it happened. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's appropriate to remind you, if you don't know Jesus, this is not your Good Friday. That's right. Um, if you don't know Jesus... This Friday will be for you an awful Friday when you look back because God is going to point to this event as the pivot on which all of human history swings. Mm -hmm. And he's going to say to you, it's Good Friday if you know him and if you accepted his death and resurrection for your sins. But if you don't know him, this is not a Good Friday for you. So, David, there's a, a time in which all of us must answer the question, yeah. which Jesus asked, who do you say that I yeah. am? And each of us must answer mm -hmm. that question for ourselves. Yeah. There is no more significant question we could ask yeah. than who is Jesus and what was he doing on that cross? Yeah. And it doesn't matter if we grew up going to church or what our family believed or what our friends believe or if we attend church every Christmas and Easter. Yeah. We've got to make that decision. Yeah, this is a personal faith. Your faith is, is personal. It's not private, as we've said repeatedly from, from Watermarks on the stage. Um, if you don't, if you are, are trusting in your parents' faith, if you are trusting on your religiosity, if you are trusting the fact that you show up in a building every Easter and every Christmas uh, and every high holy holiday, if you come to Jesus, if you come to the Father with anything, anything other than all I've contributed to my salvation is the sin that I brought to the cross, mm -hmm. um, then yeah, you're in, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. Yeah. All we bring to the cross is sin yeah. and resistance. Mm -hmm. um, that's good. So, um, yeah, I think just for those who are, are at home, Matthew 27, 54, you mentioned the centurion. Yeah. Matthew 27, 54 says, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy, David, is how, how could so many people look at the same event and walk away with such drastically different conclusions. Yeah. It's the same way today, right? You and I are sitting here talking about the love of Jesus Christ, that God became man in the person of Jesus. The incarnation took our place, paid our penalty, died on the cross for our sins. Mm -hmm. And for other people, it's just a holiday. Yeah. For other people, it's a day they get off work. For other, day, it's, for other people, it's just a, another day in the year. We, we draw such dramatically different conclusions. Yeah. But we all have to must we all must answer that question. Yeah. Let's get to the fourth perspective um, and that is you know just kind of piggybacking on that idea. Today um, you and I've shared our thoughts and um, what would you say to those David who listen this is a particularly today particularly yeah. on this good friday there are people asking the same question if you will Hey, God, why? Why does it look like um, this world is completely broken? Why is there so much suffering? What, what do we make of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think we're in a season, we're in this weird season in a way that, frankly, most of us, maybe all of us have never been in. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so some folks are asking the question, why, God, have you forsaken us? Mm -hmm. And I, I, say, I think the first thing I would say to those folks is, one, 
um, I don't think you're crazy. I think it is a, a really weird season that we're in right now. And, and weird seasons, hard seasons, prompt hard questions. That's right. I would say to you that Jesus, as we've talked about, Jesus was forsaken, literally, mm-hmm. so that those who call him Savior and those who call him uh, the Father, Father, would never be forsaken. And so while it might feel like you individually or us collectively have been forsaken by God, um, if you know Jesus and the Father, you have not been forsaken. Again, I go back to Spurgeon who says things in a way that is so much more eloquent and profound than I could. He says that there are seasons when the brightness of our Father's smile is eclipsed by clouds and darkness. But let us remember that God never does really forsake us. Mm. It is only a seemingly of a forsaken with us. But in Christ's case, it was a real forsaking. We grieve at a little of the withdrawal of our father's favor, but the real turning away of God's face from his son, who shall calculate the deep agony which caused him? And so I would say we might feel like God has forsaken us, but let's be clear, God has not forsaken us. And the way I know that is because I have put my faith and my trust by God's grace in the cross. And I know that um, that God is not going to lose any of his people. Mm-hmm. And so I know that I've not really been forsaken, but this does remind me in these in seasons like this that I need to dig deep into community. This is why, um, this is why we were never meant, if you know Jesus, you were never meant to be a, a lone ranger Christian. We need each other in seasons when life is hard. We need each other when things are going well to remind us that it's not all about us. Mm-hmm. You know, that our, our things going great is not a result of anything we've done, but of God's favor. And we need each other even more when things, when the clouds are dark to remind each other and to hold each other up that you are not alone. God has not forgotten you. And this is why we rely on the body of Christ mm-hmm. is, is that we, we need each other. Yeah. The cross itself is proof that God is not forsaken yeah. us. That, that, the cross is evidence that God loves us. Yeah. And I mean, he's entered is, into our yeah. broken this world. This is Romans 5, 8, right? God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so there's nothing else he can do that would, can, can demonstrate his love in any more fulsome, bigger, uh, complete way than the cross. We, we can always go back to Good Friday and say, no matter what happens in my temporal circumstances, mm-hmm. I can know that God loves me because of this singular event mm-hmm. that occurred. Mm-hmm. Everything else needs to be processed in light of that event. So let's unpack that a little bit, David, because I, I think this is a really important point. Um, you just said, hey, everything else that we experience needs to be processed in light of this event. This is the pivot point yeah. of all of history. Yeah. In fact, our, the way which we tell time is before Christ, right? And after mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. And so, but let's talk about just having a biblical world view. Yeah. Even this statement that Jesus makes on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This isn't the first time we read this in scripture. Yeah. We see this where and help, help us. Yeah, Jesus is quoting from Psalm 22.1, and that's a psalm. And so if you read uh, in, the, in Matthew or in Mark's account, and you see this repeated in Mark as well, you ought to look at your little footnote in your Bible, and the footnote's going to tell you this comes from Psalm 22. And you should turn your Bible back and go back and read Psalm 22. And it's a psalm that starts off really, Psalm, I guess, verses 1 to 21. You could break the psalm into three parts, or I, I think for simplicity, two big chunks, 1 to 21 and, tw- and 22 to the end. 1 to 21 is about the abandonment and the suffering and ultimately the death of the servant in the psalm. And Psalm 22 to the end is about joining in a, a 
a worldwide praise of the Father and the victory that comes after that. And so you should read Psalm 22, verse 1, in light of the whole psalm, which is things are bad for, the, for uh, the, this messianic psalm points to Jesus. It's going to end in death. And then 22 on is going to be this, uh, there's this sense in which there's praise and there's a kingdom mentality. And Psalm 22 is placed strategically in your Bible. The Psalms weren't as we, you and I talked about earlier, they weren't put in your in the Psalter in some haphazardly manner. The Psalms are in the Psalm in, the, in a particular order. Hmm. And so go back and read Psalm 19 and 20 and 21 and 22 and 23, because those Psalms- Which 23 is a crowd favorite. Yeah, We're all familiar with that for one. For sure. And if 22 you, precedes it. Yes, if you read Psalm 23 without thinking about the one that comes right before it, you've missed it. Mm-hmm. Because the darkness and the suffering of Psalm 22 finds its fulfillment in Psalm 23, specifically right in the dead center of Psalm 23. Mm-hmm. I walk through the valley of shadow death, um, uh, but you are uh, with me. But you are with me. I'm sorry, I'm drawing like, right. yeah, you are with me, right? That phrase is the answer to the darkness of Psalm 22, and it falls right in the middle of Psalm 23. And so contextually, you know, this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It fits in a broader narrative, just like. Mm-hmm. Our suffering today fits in a broader narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we look at seasons like we're in today, and look, this season is going to come to an end, and there will be other seasons where it seems like the clouds have descended and they're darker, and there may be fear. And in those seasons, we have to remind ourselves of what is true, which is that we are not home. And Scripture, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I am, uh, in the midst of all this craziness, I am so thankful that the one thing this coronavirus has forced our world to recognize is that we are not in control. Amen. And um, that this earth is broken. And, you know, that flash full, that's not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Scripture talks about that. I go back to Romans 8, where Paul writes that we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, Paul wrote this back when he wrote it, and it's still happening. Mm-hmm. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have been the uh, who have the first fruits of the spirit we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoptions as son the redemption of our bodies paul picks this theme up again in second corinthians 5 1 to 10 which i encourage you to read he says that look if this tent this earthly fleshly tent is destroyed we have a building from god a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens for in this tent we groan we long to put on our heavenly dwelling uh, we are all experiencing collectively now in a way that we haven't collectively in a while, the brokenness of this earth. Mm -hmm. And it should remind you that you and I, if you know Jesus, you are not home. And our sufferings um, are, Paul would say, they're light and they're momentarily, and they're only light and momentary if you put them in the context of the broader narrative. Mm -hmm. If you are a guy who believes that you've got 50 years on earth, and that's it, then these are not light and uh, momentary. These are mm-hmm. big and heavy and, and uh, should, should weigh you down in a way that is really discouraging. But if you know Jesus and you know that our time on earth is, is, a, is a flash, um, that, that while we're here, we're being prepared for our eternity with the Father and the Son and the Spirit and unhindered fellowship where we can we only see dimly today, but we will see clearly, then these things we can take comfort that they're light and temporary. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm navigating through the book of James right now, my own personal time in, in just in the word, and, and it, James reminds us that that 
um, that blessed is the man who perseveres in the midst of trials. Because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised us to love him. He starts the beginning of that, that these trials are producing in us steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so you may be perfect and without fault. And so if I can remember in the midst of my suffering, either this current season or other seasons where there's sickness or death or job loss or prodigal children or whatever, if I know that those things are producing in me, I can count it all joy, which is what James says. Count it all joy when you face trials of very kind, various mm-hmm. kinds because they're producing something. But only if I put it in that broader context. Mm-hmm. I can count this coronavirus as joy, not because of the virus, mm-hmm. but because of what it's producing. Mm-hmm. It's producing in me steadfastness, or some of your translations may read perseverance. And if I let that have its full weight in my life, it'll produce all that I need. Mm-hmm. And that's why we take a long-term review, a long-term approach to our faith. We don't, I'm not stuck on the coronavirus. Well, you mentioned... Um, this is probably an appropriate passage for us to close with, is 2 Corinthians 4. I'll yeah. read it. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Mm. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Yeah. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul can only say that yeah. in light of everything you just shared. Yeah. A um, biblical worldview. Seeing not just today, um, the challenges we're facing today, but taking a much broader view yeah. in light of the cross and the hope that comes from knowing Christ. Yeah, and you would be crazy to think you could have that worldview apart from Good Friday. That's right. You just would be. Mm-hmm. If you don't know Jesus, then you ought to be panicking right now, frankly. Right. You, you, this exposes our idols. Yes. We're looking for life in all the wrong places. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you have planted your hope in the Dallas Cowboys or your portfolio or whatever, anything other than Jesus, then you have been exposed. Mm -hmm. And as believers, we need to ask ourselves, this is an appropriate time to do a a hard, honest Mm self-evaluation. What else have I been filling the gaps in with? I say that I trust Jesus. I say that, that I believe that Good Friday was good, but I've discovered since all of this has happened that I, I have some some chips over in this corner here, you know, where I'm relying on my finances maybe more than I ought to, or my relationship with these people more than I ought to, or my job more than I ought to. And, and look, it's, you know, God knows we're frail. And so we just, we want to own that. We want to confess that. We want to go back and ask God to help us recenter our hearts on the truth of this Good Friday, on the hardness of it. We want to ask him to remind us of what we're going to talk about on Sunday, which is that, that, that this awful, unspeakable horror turned into the greatest event ever in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And well, so he defeats yeah, sin, sin and death and death offers us life. Yes, and we are the first fruits mm-hmm. of, of that. We, we, you know, Paul would say that if the resurrection didn't happen, then we're fools. And mm-hmm. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we'll talk about that in a couple of days, but the resurrection did happen. Mm-hmm. And so as believers, if you know Jesus, it's okay to do a, 
a fearless and searching inventory of how are we doing? But to your point, David, hey, look, if we're living with the same level of anxiety, even as professed believers, if the world looks at us and they see the panic in us that they see in everybody else, mm-hmm. that should be a red flag. Yeah. That should be a warning to us. Yeah, and it doesn't mean you can't struggle. Right. Right. As long as you are on earth in a post-Genesis 3 world, we are going to struggle. Right. The difference is we got to raise our hand and say, I'm struggling, and I don't like it, and I don't think it's normal for a guy who, who says he believes that Jesus died and rose from the dead and who believes that Jesus is coming back to get me. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's normal for me to struggle that way. Mm-hmm. And so I want to, um, or maybe not normal, maybe I don't know that it's what God would have for me. Right. And so I want to confess that as sin, potentially. Mm-hmm. I want to confess my doubts. I want to pray like the guy who uh, pleaded for Jesus. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, I believe so, help me in my unbelief. Yes, help me grow in my ability to trust you, Lord, in the midst of coronaviruses, because this won't be the last coronavirus that hits our life. Mm-hmm. There's going to be more. I love the compassion we see in Jesus in John 11, right? The first Bible verse I memorized, I'm sure you did too, Jesus wept, right? <laughs> but, I do, but I do love the empathy there, yeah. that he acknowledges the reality of the pain and the, and the hurt of suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to study in 1 Thessalonians soon, um, which we're studying as a church right now, where Paul even acknowledges that, hey, even in death, as believers, we grieve, but we grieve as those who have hope, right? Mm-hmm. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. Yeah. So, well, David, thank you. Mm. Man, this has been fun. I wish yeah. we could spend more time doing this. And, um, and what I want to encourage you at home to do is, is I'm going to give you an assignment. And um, because there's so much more we wanted to unpack with you today, we're going to put passages of scripture up on the screen. And I would encourage you to grab a pen and, and a piece of paper and just write down these passages. And then together as a family or with your community group or friends or just even time alone with God and his word is to look up each one of these passages and you'll see that each one of them has one thing in common and each one of them refers to the blood of Christ. You see, Christ's blood was shed for your sake and my sake. And we cannot appreciate Good Friday or Easter until we stop and really reflect on the significance of his broken body and shed blood. And so, um, Watermark, listen, uh, we talk about this all the time. Being away from you and communicating to you solely through a screen, not seeing you on the weekends, not worshiping with you, uh, throughout the week, studying God's word with you, meeting with you. It's hard. I'm feeling the effects. I'm feeling the effects that I miss you and we love you and we want to serve you in any way we can. If today for the, is for the first time you're understanding the significance of the cross and how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we can help you, please reach out to us. We'd love nothing more than the dialogue with you. So please contact us. If we can pray for you, you can just send us um, a prayer request at prayer at watermark.org. We'd love to follow up with you and serve you in any way we can. So just use prayer at watermark.org. Reach out to us. Let us know how we can pray for you and let us know if you want to know how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So David, thanks man for your time. Yeah. And um, man, would you mind just closing some prayer and we'll love wrap to. up with that. Love right. to. Father, we, uh, we do want to just pause on this Good Friday and acknowledge that the only reason we can say with any, sh- any shred of confidence 
that this Friday is good is because you have given us eyes to see the beauty of what is coming in a couple days, that you rose, uh, raised your son from the dead. Mm-hmm. You conquered death. You have defeated sin. Mm-hmm. You have defeated our enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And I pray that for my heart, I pray for the hearts of those that are watching, um, that we would sit in the darkness of, of Good Friday and that we would meditate on the, uh, the enormous cost of our salvation, that we, had we been there, we would have been the ones mocking and taunting. Mm-hmm. We would have been the ones who so, so fickly on Sunday put down branches and on Friday yelled, crucify you. And, uh, and just help us to come to terms with that, with that reality. Father, thank you that you have put your light into our hearts. You have taken our blinders off and you have allowed us to see the beauty of your son, the significance of his death and the hope that is found in Jesus. I pray for anyone who is watching right now who doesn't have that confidence, who is not familiar with the story, who has not put their trust and their faith in the finished work of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, that you would this day, this moment that you would bring them into the family Mm -hmm. so that they could say with confidence that Friday is good because of what it produced. God, for those that don't know you, I pray that you would put on them an overwhelming sense of their sin and their, uh, the conviction of the spirit would, would weigh them down, would eat at their bones, would cause such a discontent that they couldn't sleep, that they would be unsatisfied with food, with anything else this world has to offer, that you would bring them to your son. Father, thank you for your word, which is living and active. I pray that we would be in it first and most. I pray that it would do its work in our heart. For those that know you and who are struggling, I pray that you would provide comfort and peace. You would remind us of your great care, your great love for us. You're not mad. You're not put out with us when we struggle with recurring things. I pray that you would bring us to repentance, help us to lean heavily on community, Father, thank you for Good Friday. Thank you for the death, the torture, the murder of your son so that we could be brought near. We trust you. We believe. Would you help increase our trust and increase our belief this day and each day going forward? In Jesus' remarkable name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks again, friends, for joining us on this Good Friday, this great Friday. And we would encourage you to tune in for Easter. Invite your friends to join us for that. And again, if there's any way which we can serve you, we'd love to to know that. And uh, have a great week of worship. Yep.